electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. And welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. Uh, Report this Friday edition, front and center this hour. After another quarter to forget for stocks, is any relief in sight for your money in the months ahead? We'll debate that with the Investment Committee. We're at Post 9 at the New York Stock Exchange today. Joining me for the hour, Bryn Talkington, Rob Seachin, Steve Weiss, Shannon Sakosha, and Joe Terranova, who's right here. We have a supersized group because it's an all-hands-on-deck kind of market. Let's take a look at where we stand right now. Dow's down just about triple digits. S&P is flat. NASDAQ's a touch higher. Russell's higher by near 1.5%. 375 is the uh, yield on the 10-year note. But, uh, Joe, we're wrapping up uh, September. Worse since 08. Third straight negative quarter for the S&P 500. First time since 09. It gives you an idea of just how difficult the environment has been this month at minimum. It's been a quarter of extremes. If you remember all the way back to early August, you had a 10-year Treasury at 2.5%. Seems like... You know, that, that was years ago. Um, we're also in the midst of a period where during the quarter, we were actually up 14% at one point. We have not in the last 80 years had a quarter where you were up by double digits and closed the quarter negative. Unless you get some form of a remarkable rally here this afternoon, you're going to close with a negative quarter. So you haven't done that in basically 80 years. Now, you look forward real quick on Q4. Mm-hmm. Q4. The average return over the last 20 years, 4%. Year two, Q4 of a presidential cycle. That's what we've got coming up right now. You go back to 1950, the return is 6%. So you've got some compelling historical statistics you could take hold with. So, Bryn, um, you got a couple of issues here, right? You got the economy starting to run cold. Chicago PMI was lower. Consumer sentiment dropped. You got inflation still running hot by virtue of the core, uh, the PCE data that was out today. And you got the Fed in the face of all of that uh, still talking tough. Brainerd committed to the inflation fight, she says. Monetary policy will need to be restrictive for some time. For these reasons, we are committed to avoiding pulling back prematurely. You've been a don't fight the Fed person for many months at this point, And we're about to head into a new quarter, the last one of the year. What's it going to hold? Well, I mean, it's, it's been a tough year for sure. And I think, you know, the word pain, the, the, the Federal Reserve's preferred noun, has really been most acutely felt, Scott, with the most conservative investors. Because as of now, you have the Barclays Ag, which is a treasury and investment grade index, down close to 14%. A 60-40 portfolio is down 20%, which has actually only been eclipsed by 1931 in the Depression. And so this is where we are today, where, you know, equities have not done well. But really, to me, this, this has been a story about the bond market, you know, really giving conservative investors a one-two punch. I think, unfortunately, this next couple weeks is going to be dicey. Um, the Cleveland Fed, who puts out CPI um, forecasts, they came out earlier this week, and they showed that October CPI month over month will be up, up 03 
which if you look what that means to a year over year, Scott, that's going to give us an 8.2% if that number comes to fruition. So I think for investors, you, know, you have to stay defensive, ride this out, because it's really, I think, going to continue to be a tough market. I got to bring this note uh, to your attention because, you know, anytime JP Morgan's Marco Kalanovic publishes, and he often publishes during <laughs> our hour, um, he has been making the case for the last many months that he's been more positive than most, and he has given you uh, all of the reasons why he has played counter to what the consensus narrative has been. Uh, he just dropped a note that said, quote, we're increasingly worried about central banks making a policy error and of new geopolitical tail risks following uh, the destruction of the Nord Stream uh, pipeline. He had been con uh, constructive. He'd been more positive than most. Now he says, and he goes on here, and this just dropped, even if a mistake is avoided, he says, a delay will likely be introduced for the global market and economic recovery. A second assumption behind our positive view is now at risk. It all amounts to throwing rocks in glass houses. 2022 price targets are at risk, may not be realized until 2023 or uh, when the above risks ease. Uh, you tell me, Weiss, I mean, is this maybe one of the last bulls standing, throwing in the towel? No, not at all. I mean, it's somewhat encouraging to see, but you know, sometimes markets are, are easy and sometimes they're difficult. The only time they're really easy is if you go back uh, to when the Fed started easing after the housing crisis and, and Tepper came on and said, hey, go with the Fed, the market's going to explode because he focused on the Fed. So the market, and it's more difficult now, granted, given what we've had, but the Fed's come out and said, hey, we're going to keep going. They said it today. They said it yesterday. So, I, so you can look for tea leaves, you look for signs, you can look at the length of women's skirts, you know, is it a buy signal? All that's pablum, it means nothing. The only thing that means something is that there is no playbook for the economy where we are because we've never had a Fed that is so intent on cutting back on their balance sheet, on raising rates. That's all you have to know. And the pain has not been expressed yet by corporations, except Nike today. So, so people come on saying, buy the dip. Well, Nike was down from its peak in last November at 180 to 100 before today. It's down another 10% today. Why? Because the consumer's weak and because costs are up and they're getting squeezed. So that's gonna keep happening. So you can't buy the dip. The only thing you gotta worry about right now is when is the turn gonna happen? And you'd be so much better off waiting for that turn to occur, missing the 10%, and that may be a year from now. But the only thing that's changed in my thinking is I've got my AirPod in my right ear instead of my left usually, but I'm sticking that short for now. But, I'll miss, but, I'll get but, hit but, by but some rallies this. like but, this morning, no, but I'll no, no. stay net short. Let, let, let's say this, Weiss, okay? I, you've been negative for longer than mm -hmm. most. I totally get it. But um, you didn't really address the, the issues in the Kalanovic note, which I asked you about. And the primary one, which right. you have not gamed out in your negativity uh, through these last many months, is this worry about central banks making a major policy error. And after what happened in the UK, the ante of that was upped in some people's minds, enough so that you had one of the last bulls standing, if you will, suggesting that now it may not work because that's a principal risk at the same time of when you may get a geopolitical right. risk piled on top of that. That's how the risk gets elevated. 
Right. And so doesn't that, shouldn't that make anybody more negative? I can't be more negative. But if you're a bull and you're listening to what he's saying, and he's absolutely right, and all the bulls are saying, hey, the Fed's going too far too fast, that's a reason that they should say, you know what, maybe I shouldn't be buying dips. Maybe I should keep my cash and wait. So you take the negative case that I've laid out, and then you say, okay, this makes me really wake up like it did for him. So unfortunately, the markets don't really trade in what sentiment is. They're trading on what monetary policy is and fiscal policy. Fiscal policy has been very negative because it's been inflationary. So the Fed's even got to work harder to take it down. Right. So anything that he said, I'd say welcome aboard to the negative view, you know, mm-hmm. and that you're still not there yet completely. You should be more there. Okay. Uh, Shannon, Bank of America Global Equity Strategy note today, sell the rip. That's their headline. Uh, Hartnett, Michael Hartnett, right? He's been he's been dead on uh, for a long time now on where this market was going. He says he's also B of, B of A. Uh, we're tactical bears. Short the twos and the spoos. That's what he says. Two-year Treasury, S&P. Uh, till Halloween, he says. SPX 3333 will force a policy panic, uh, then a rally. The big low not seen since uh, until Q1 when recession and credit shocks equal peak Fed. That's a lot to chew on. Which direction do you want to take it? So that's that's a month from now, Scott. So it's really hard for me to uh, think about positioning client portfolios for four weeks. Um, I would say that I so I'm going to focus on the, the first quarter comment there. Um, and there is an interse- a potential intersection where we're seeing credit markets increase. One of the things that we continue or the risk of credit markets to increase. The one of the things we're really looking at is we talked for decade for a decade about this wall of worry in terms of refinancing uh, from a debt perspective. We talked about you know the potential for lower quality credits to not be able to refinance or to have these significantly higher costs. Um, we're not seeing that reflected in the bond market as of yet. We're really not seeing the spread widening. And I would say that's where the disconnect is. We talk a lot about the bond market providing color and context to equity investors. And from a risk perspective, I think what happened in the UK this week brought home to us that perhaps we should not be looking just at lower quality credits, but perhaps the debt load in, in general. And when I look at the debt load here in the United States. And I would actually disagree with what Steve said. I think that the roll off of the balance sheet is becoming uh, like essentially de-emphasized from the Fed right now. We, we continue to not talk about quantitative tightening. And I think that's because they know that's where they have some variability in their message and their policy. And so I would say that we're going to continue to hear the drumbeat on rate hikes. I would say that what I expect, should we continue to see stress from a financial conditions perspective, we're going to see less color and context from the Fed and less emphasis from the Fed on quantitative tightening because that is actually where they can work in the background without changing the narrative around we are staying tough on inflation. So Rob Seachin, here we go into a new quarter. Um, you've been fairly negative. Uh, sell the rip, as, as we mentioned, from B of A. Hartnett's talking about being tactical bears, shorting the twos and the spoos. Uh, what about you? So, so listen, I... I don't know how you can be in this environment and not be concerned about a brewing liquidity crisis. Liquidity crises are like bankruptcies. They happen gradually and then suddenly, and it can be very scary. We're seeing signs of liquidity issues all around the world. In the UK, margin calls at pension funds forced the Bank of England to step in and support. 
in the U.S., we're, we're seeing big volatility in funding rates. We're seeing big and fast weakness in emerging currencies. And we think real businesses are also at risk of liquidity issues as the surge in, in floating rate debt. And so I think you have to be cautious. We are still in a downtrend. Our thesis all year has been it has to get worse before it gets better. And, uh, you know, these liquidity conditions may at some point justify a pivot from the Fed. Um, but I don't think that's yet. If we get a technical bounce, which there are signs that you could because of all oversold conditions, I would use that to reposition because in this tighter, longer environment, with earnings decelerating, I think multiples have to come in, earnings have to come in, and ultimately we're going to see an environment where stock prices go down. And how low, we don't know. That kind of depends on earnings and depends on Fed policy. But at some point, you have to prepare for action. And we just don't think that point spot is today. It's, it's too early. Yeah. It's a lot yeah. of risk on the dashboard. And to, and to just echo some of what Weiss says, why would you do it early? Wait till you see the white of the eyes before you do yeah. Here's see. what I want to do. Uh, forgive me. I'm going to interrupt you, Rob. I want to work on your microphone because it's... Um, it's not great, the quality of it, and it's hard, to, uh, it's hard to follow all that you're talking about. Gang, can we, can we try and fix that? We'll get Rob back up and going, but let's continue the conversation um, in, in the meantime. Is a pivot by the Fed the only positive catalyst out there for, for buying stocks? Is that the only thing that you have to hang your hat on eventually that, that they're going to crack and that maybe the timeline of that is moved up because of some of these liquidity issues? The stress issues over in Europe, what BOE did, uh, certainly sets the table for uh, central banks around the world to be keeping an eye on the situation in ways that they weren't necessarily thinking about a week ago. Without question, for long-term investing, yes, you need the pause. And you need global central banks coordinated in the pause. Keep in mind, in November, you're going to have a very critical G20 meeting where central bankers will get together. Right now, I think it's 29 out of 34 global central banks are administering a very hawkish monetary policy. There has to be a clear pause in that for long-term investors. Within the overall trend, I do think there are trades that you can identify, and it is- Like what? Well, like what? Okay, so I like specifics. The, you know that. So let let let's just go macro for one second. Uh, in the last quarter, there's been t two times that I've talked about buying the Qs. Over the last six days, the S and P 500 has traded in a surprisingly tight range between 36.10 and 37.36. Very remarkably tight. And if you think about it, within the context of that range. You had a break below a significant low, the June lows. You should have seen a lot of excitement and further acceleration to the downside. You didn't see that. So you've got CPI coming on October 13th, Thursday morning, October 13th. A similar setup exists to what we saw in early September. Market rallies into CPI. You could see the same <laughs> yeah. thing occur. You could see the same thing occur. CPI smacks you upside the head. Okay, market but it's trade Scott, it's tradable. 
it's tradable. And I think the trade is, and I'll actually take the trade, if you could trade up to the upper end of that S&P range uh, in the next couple of days, around 37 and a quarter, 37, 35, I think you'd go with that with the type stop against the bottom of the range. And guess what, for the bears? All right, here's a great opportunity to do exactly what Steve and Rob is advocating for, where you lighten up your positions. You take some risk off the table if you get that tradable bounce. But let's remember, in larger context of bear markets, you get really good tradable rallies. So you talk about the cues, and it makes me think of, Shannon, the, the terrible run here that, that tech has had, especially large cap. Uh, over the last month alone, you know, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft, Meta, and NVIDIA are down double-digit percentage points, uh, all of them. Uh, anywhere from 10% for the garden variety pullback in mega cap to uh, 21% with NVIDIA, if you want to include that in that group. Um, at least it, it has a sentiment sort of standpoint that was, was in that group. And you have a lot of ownership around this space. So Joe's talking about the Qs. We're talking about the Fed, so-called longer dated assets. Um, I don't know. What do you think about mega cap heading into a new quarter, given where we are today? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, the recent downturn in mega cap is, just they, you know, they came for the quality, right? We, we've already seen the massive sell-off in, you know, higher multiple, lower no profitability technology companies. That already happened, right? And they're way off their highs. Um, and so this second round is saying, okay, you know, if we are expecting, I think this really comes back to, you know, that dot plot, Scott, that we talked a lot about already, but just thinking about it in terms of the duration of the higher rate environment, the duration of time where the Fed is telegraphing that we're going to be above the terminal rate and then having to discount those cash flows back to that. Um, I really still think there's a disconnect between future state cash flows for these companies and the, and the reality of how much free cash flow they're throwing off today um, and the, the longer term discounting that's being applied there. The challenge is here is, is the variable here is how much are companies that rely on these technology providers, how much renegotiation in terms of their existing contracts are they going to need to do to bring their costs down? So if you think about you know, the dichotomy of how much are we investing in growth and productivity, which I still think is going to continue to happen over the next couple of years, but how much am I trying to shave off some of my BF, BAU projects in order to account for the need to cut costs? I think that's why you're seeing a little bit more pain in tech. I don't. I think it's two part, you know, technical just in terms of this longer duration of, of higher rates. Second part is this variable of if we don't get a huge decline in aggregate technology spending, but we get pockets of decline, where will those pockets be? And so really differentiating some of the, the, the opportunities for these companies is going to be important. But right now, the pressure is and the pressure is going to remain on right on through the end of October in terms of, OK, these are trading at a higher multiple than the market. If the multiple of the market is going to continue to come down, these need to come down more. We've seen pain already. There could be a little bit more on the multiple side, but I think earnings is really, and, and the, 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 the competitiveness of these businesses is really where you need to start looking at, because otherwise you're not going to be differentiating in this wide sea of quote unquote tech and tech adjacent. So Bryn, you know where the, you know, the sentiment has been bad around, around tech. And if you look at some of the trends, Jeffrey's pointing out today that there's more insider selling than buying taking place in tech. UBS talks about the cyclical, uh, the pain trade for cyclical tech. Uh, they don't take a single stock view, they say, but they continue to advise investors to switch out of cyclical tech. Uh, makes me think of chips and, and, and things like that. 
Uh, what's your view here with semis at 52-week lows? You've got some mega cap stocks at 52-week lows. Yeah, I think they I think they go lower. I mean, I own Nvidia, I own Microsoft, I own Apple. You know, I own technology. I think that the issue that all of us are having as collective investors is we look back the past 20 years and especially the past 10 and we had zero rates and we had QE1, QE2, QE3 and then COVID QE. And I think everyone's still going back to the playbook of the last 10 years and I do think you have to think about throwing that out. We have not had this type of sticky inflation and this high debt to GDP and a $9 trillion Fed balance sheet ever. And so I do think that the, apps, the, the rates right now are very low. And from 95 to 99, where were Fed funds? Around 5 to 6% and you had a massive run up in tech. It's really just we're, we're, we're fighting this inflationary period and that's what's new. So I do think technology from a capital appreciation is going to stay under pressure and we're going to still have more capital depreciation. I mean, if you would have said to me a year and a half ago, hey, NVIDIA is going to be at $125, are you a buyer? I would have raised my hand all day long. I own it, but I haven't bought any more. And why is that? Because I still think like Nike, a lot of these other companies have inventories they're going to have to work out. So I think you've got to be patient here on growth and just and, and, and not step in and take your playbook not from 2009 to 2020, but you have to put together a whole new playbook for what you should own. Rob Seachin, I think we got you patched up and, uh, and, and back uh, uh, with us now, which is good, because you own Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Meta, Microsoft, Adobe, Applied Materials, KLA 10 Core. Uh, you have a lot of exposure in an area that's become quite controversial in the market of late. I think it's important to say, Scott, that we run multiple portfolios. Those are in our growth portfolio. And if you look at tech broadly, we are underweight, not so much in that one portfolio. But we still think that growth in tech stocks are too expensive. They're setting up for relative underperformance versus the market. Growth trades at 22 and tech trades at a 23% premium to the market. And that's not warranted with real rates above a percent and a half. The, 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 the last time real rates were this high, growth traded at close to 17 times, and tech was in line with the market. So these valuations still have room to fall. Now, what we own within tech is quality tech with earnings, sustainable margins, but they're not spared in times like this. They're relatively spared, and you can get some some significant, you know, relative outperformance. And what I would tell you is you just got to be careful. There are two largest weightings from a sector standpoint are energy and healthcare. And we think like Bryn, you have to think differently prospectively because, you know, just buying equal weighted indices, which really expose you uh, to these type of names, um, you're going to want to pivot a little bit uh, to uh, you know, mark, uh, sorry, equal weight indices, what you want to own, market cap weighted indices is what exposes you uh, to these names quite dramatically. Yeah. All right, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Up next, we're going to talk about Nike's drop. Shares are on pace for the worst day in some two years. Committee member Stephanie Link owns it, and she talked about it yesterday in overtime, and now she's making a move on it. She's going to call in next and tell you exactly what it is. Bryn has a new move, too, that we have to get to still. We'll do it all when we come back in two minutes.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, let's get to that move we talked about, Bryn. You bought Win for a trade, but you still bought it. <laughs> Tell me why. Yeah, so last week, the Macau government came out and said, we will be reopening Macau soon, which my opinion soon is probably going to be October, November. The second catalyst is on October 16th is the big election in China, which they actually had moved up a month. It's supposed to be in November. I believe after that election, which starts in two weeks, China will continue to ease their COVID policies. Macau is reopening. So I bought when I bought it on Monday around 66. But then there's a lot of volatility in the stock. I sold the January 7750 calls and collected $5 of premium income, which is seven and a half percent for around four months. Plus, I have about 15% upside. So I think it offers a really good risk reward and a good way to play if China does reopen after the election. Okay. Appreciate you uh, bringing that to us. Nike, as we mentioned, pacing for its worst day since March of 2020. That after the company reported a surge in inventories that overshadowed a top and bottom line beat. Hightower Stephanie Link joins us now on the phone to discuss this because, Steph, welcome back. We did talk about this in real time. Yesterday, yeah. in overtime, you owned the stock. You talked about the inventory being bloated, the margins taking a hit as a result, and then you jumped in today and bought more shares? Yeah, hi, Scott. Yeah, I did add, add this morning. I think down 12% seems to be very egregious. Um, I think, as we talked about yesterday, there was something for the bulls and something for the bears. And I don't think this is thesis changing after this quarter, but the stock down 12%, I think, is just crazy. They beat on earnings and revenues. Total revenues grew 10% constant currency versus their guide of flat to up slightly. And I just want to, like, break it down within the revenue components. North America grew 9% on a three-year CAGR basis. EMEA grew 10%. China certainly fell down 13, but we were expecting down 15, down 20. So... I thought that the quarter, they did a very good job in terms of navigating the puts and takes, and underlying demand was very strong. Their guide for, for fiscal second quarter 
of 20% constant currency. And again, the commentary on the call, brand momentum around the world, September up double digits in North America, back to school very strong, and China is ahead of plan in terms of inventory. Obviously, the inventories overall are a disappointment. Gross margins overall are a disappointment, but I kind of view it, Scott, as like a, a kind of a one-off, two-off kind of quarter thing. Um, and if everyone is seeing inventories being bloated, well, these guys are going to come out of it much stronger than most. I mean, yeah, but I'm thinking of that's like that's what Brian Cornell thought. The target, right? Oh, you know, it's a, it's a, maybe a one-quarter thing or a few months thing. And I would make the argument, and I wonder if you would accept this, that the bad, so to speak, is worse than the good. Uh, and what that's going to get you and that the inventory issue is so significant and the, the margin hit is going to be much greater than maybe folks thought that that has more weight to where this stock goes in the near term at minimum than any of those good points that you uh, were hanging your hat on. How would you Thank respond you. to that? There is absolutely no question short-term this stock is probably dead money. There's no question about that. I mean, you've got to get through the inventory. Look at Target. It's taking it a long time, too, to kind of sort itself through. But if I think about it a year from now or two years from now, if, if I thought there was a demand problem, if I thought there was a product problem, I would sell the stock tomorrow, right? But I don't. I'm looking at the numbers and the underlying demand is so strong in, in, in light of some of these challenges. And by the way, I'm just so totally going to ignore the currency thing because I don't pay up or down for currency. Um, and that's also hurting them, though, right? And so that the headline doesn't look so good. But yeah, look, inventory, they're going to have to work it through. Gross margins are going to take a hit. But the stock, Scott, is now down almost 50% on the year, right? And it trades at a seven multiple turn, multiple point turn lower than it did at the beginning of the year. And I just don't think that the fundamentals are as bad as the multiple suggest. We'll leave it there. Stephanie, thank you so much. That's Stephanie Link calling in. Saying she's buying more shares of Nike on that pullback today. We have more trades ahead. We're looking at some of the biggest stock winners and losers of the quarter. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Good day, everybody. I'm Contessa Brewer. Here's our CNBC News update this hour. Hurricane Ian is tracking toward landfall in South Carolina this afternoon. And with it, flooding rain, storm surges and strong wind to the southeast. States of emergency are being declared across Georgia, the Carolinas and Virginia ahead of Ian's arrival. And at least 21 people are counted dead in Florida after the storm hammered the state over the past 48 hours. The cleanup, of course, still continuing there. A suicide attack at a tutoring center in the Afghan capital of Kabul killed at least 19 people and wounded dozens. No immediate claim of responsibility for this blast, but a lot of people living nearby are an ethnically Shiite Muslim minority. Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson is making her first appearance on the bench in a brief courtroom ceremony three days before the high court's new term. President Joe Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris and their spouses attended the ceremonial investiture for Jackson, the first black woman to serve 
on the Supreme Court, a historic day, Scott. All right, Contessa, thank you for that. Mm -hmm. That's Contessa Brewer. Uh, Netflix is up 36% so far this quarter. It's the second best stock in the NASDAQ 100. We highlight it. It has been a monster of late, Shan, uh, and a real turning point, some say, like Josh Brown, who was talking about it from our Delivering Alpha conference the other day in overtime, noting that big move that the stock has had uh, off of the bottom. So as you know, Scott, I've owned this stock for a long time, and we actually uh, grew it to a, a full position this quarter. Um, you know, the fact is, is that Netflix decided to grow up and mature its business model at just the right time. It started making money at just the right time. And it's really, from a sustainability perspective, shifted, its, it's pivoted its approach and its focus to being able to grow revenue on their base, rather than just focused, I think, with a lot of the other streamers, because they are earlier in their life cycle on the number of subs. And so from my perspective, this is an opportunity to really see this company in a different light. I continue to think that there are going to be some winners and losers in terms of streaming. But I also think that there is going to be some inelasticity in terms of streaming demand that we're seeing right now. I mean, that this is not a place where consumers right now are looking to cut back spending. And so for me, you know, this pivot came at the right time for them. Investor interest is going to be focused on the right things, which is the sustainability and the growth of the revenue rather than just on sub. Bryn, has the story turned for PayPal, which is another quarterly big winner, up 27% in the quarter going in or at least going into the program today? Potentially. The Elliott News was, was really where you got your pivot. And then they added the new CFO and they did a good job of cutting expenses and I think had a very good narrative. This was the first quarter that I feel like they had their act together. I want to wait till this quarter. See if that continues, see if sentiment continues before I add to it. It's done well this quarter, but it's still an expensive stock. And as I said earlier, I don't think we're going to, I think you just have to be patient here. So I'm going to wait and hear what Dan Schulman says, and then I'll, I'll make a decision whether I want to add more. Joe T. Chipotle, up 18%. Reiterated today, outperform at Baird, 1800 bucks. Price target. Yeah, and you're actually getting it on a little bit of a pullback. It was well above $1,700. Uh, earlier in, in August. So I think the stock, which has been able to show the fundamental resiliency and the pricing power that you want in consumer discretionary is one of the best in breed must name owns in consumer discretionary. I've talked about it. I've advocated for it. And I think on this decline, it uh, provides an opportunity if you're not in the stock just yet. All right. After the break, our calls of the day, what the street is saying about two Dow stocks and how to play them. Got to talk about some other names, too. Big winners in September, biotech, healthcare. Got some good ownership there as well. We're back after this. All right. Welcome back. In a month that saw the S&P 500 decline more than 7 percent, healthcare stocks, they've emerged as a relative outperformer, the sector falling less than 1 percent this month, with a number of names leading the broader index, including Biogen, Regeneron, Eli Lilly, and Bristol-Myers. Let's kick these around. Uh, why is you still got Moderna? Uh, I know it's a specific stock story, but speak to it and the space, uh, mm. you know, in general going into a new quarter. So, so Moderna is, uh, like all my positions I have remaining, it's uh, significantly cut back and more broadly hedged in the portfolio. Biotech's been a terrible space. I mean, it typically only goes down for one year. We've now seen it two years. So Moderna is endemic of that. Uh, I still like it long term. I still think it would be one of the most valuable companies in the biotech healthcare space. I like healthcare overall, but 
at this point, uh, you know, I'm going to wait to get it. I like the service sector as well. Uh, so it's one area that grows regardless of economics. So it's, it's you know, recession resistant, if not recession proof. So I like it, but like all other sectors, I'm waiting to put more capital to work. Seachin, you're overweight healthcare. You still? Yes, yeah, second favorite sector, Scott, it's, uh, it's energy. It's the cheapest of the defensives. Uh, utilities and staples are more expensive. Um, you know, one of our top picks coming into the year on the show was Regeneron. Um, you know, thankfully, their uh, blockbuster eye drug worked well in high doses in the clinical trials, um, protecting patients from vision problems, accounted for $5.7 billion of revenue, which is 20% of the total last year. And in the last month, it's up 20%. Uh, investors have really taken notice. In the other, the other position that we own uh, is Eli Lilly, another uh, strong performer as of late. And and there's been a lot of positive developments um, in the, the trials of Biogen, as, you, as you've seen, Alzheimer's drug. And it's obviously a, a something that afflicts uh, a ton of people globally. And all these stocks are benefiting from right. investment in those spaces. So, Joe, um, you know, when we did our, our stock summit many months ago, you picked United Health, and healthcare was your space. It is. Uh, you own AbbVie today, the uh, medical devices ETF, Merck, uh, CGen, which was your recent buy, which yes. you uh, mentioned as well, and you still own uh, United Health as yeah, well. I, I still think there's a lot of opportunity, excitement, and attractiveness in the sector. I've been active there. I sold recently Amgen, used the capital to go into uh, CGen. My ownership of Merck is one that on any pullback I like to add to. Bristol Myers, I don't own it. That's been working well. Uh, got my eye on Intuitive Surgical right here might ultimately take a position in that name. Also keeping a little bit of an eye on AbV that's been pulling back. And then I think a, a name that, that Bryn in the past has been in, I, I apologize if, if she's still in it, but I know she's talked about CRISPR therapeutics. That's kind of pulled back recently. It looks attractive here as well. All right, you mentioned AbV. Uh, that's a Shannon stock. It's a Seachin stock. Uh, it's a Bryn stock. Uh, everybody seems to uh, like that. Let's talk energy coming up. It's the second best performing sector this quarter, still leading on the year. We'll find out how we're playing it into the end of this year. Plus, for Hispanic Heritage Month, CNBC celebrating our teammates and contributors. Here's Gina Sanchez, Lido Advisors, Chief Market Strategist. The benefits of being Hispanic is that it is a naturally inclusive uh, culture. You can come from many different racial backgrounds um, and be classed as Hispanic. Um, the challenge to that is that it, it can, can create uh, divisions and a lack of cohesion within the community. And so the Hispanic voice um, sometimes comes out fractured or doesn't come out as strong in one direction or another because it represents so many people. So I think as a culture and as a community, we have to think about how we're going to channel um, our voice and what we're going to channel it toward uh, so that we can have the maximum impact. All right, energy carving out a small gain this quarter. The sector is also standing out as an outperformer this week. So Bryn, what are your expectations for that trade in these final three months of the year? I think the trend is the friend. I think it's I think energy is going to continue to go higher. I mean, with the Nord Stream one and two pipeline, you know, having been blown up or terrorized, whatever you want to call it, that's not coming back online. And obviously that's more gas. This this trend is going to continue. And I think the Ukraine Russia war because of that Nord Stream pipelines 
are going to continue that there's not going to be a solution there anytime soon. The way I would play it, though, is you can do a screen is that we're looking for companies that have high distribution yields, high free cash flow and low, low multiples. And so some names in there, you know, Devon, Chevron, Exxon, um, ConocoPhillips, um, those are all really good names that have those types of characteristics. So I like having that distribution or dividend yield coupled with that capital appreciation, because as we all know on the panel, this space is very, very volatile. And so that yield helps offset some of the price volatility that you get. And you can sell calls against all of those names. Seach, EOG, XOP, CNQ, it's one of your largest overweights, as you said uh, a moment ago, you, you like it along with healthcare. Yeah, I mean, I just think to Bryn's point, the structural shortage of oil remains with little alleviation in sight. As there's geopolitical certainty, uncertainty, it's not going anywhere. Energy's an inexpensive hedge to that. And, you know, I don't think the sanctions are going anywhere either. And so, you know, there's a lot of very attractive businesses within the energy space. You cited EOG, we own it. You cited CNQ, we own it. We also own Suncor Energy. Um, XOP is a sector play. I just think it's an elegant way to uh, hedge geopolitical risk. And these companies are still cheap. Yeah, EOG is one of yours, too, along with Joe, uh, Shannon, along with Valero. Uh, you wish you had more heading into the last quarter? Or where do you stand? Sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think this goes back to, you know, in terms of our philosophy and process, um, this has been an area where we've been essentially market weight. Um, that market weight has kind of come up a little bit. So we're, you know, modestly underweight here. Um, I think for us, you know, the way that we've played energy historically, Scott has tried to, we tried to get the most out of our limited exposure. So if you think about the refiners being able to really capture as much of commodity price moves as possible, because we think over the long term, this sector really will trade along with commodity prices. Um, but going into this more inflationary environment, I mean, this is an, this is an opportunity. Um, Jenny says this all the time, you know, anything above 60, you know, these companies, these energy companies are going to make money. And, I, you know, I think we're in that environment. So um, potentially looking to add some more exposure over time because I do agree that there's an undersupply issue here. What do you think? We're in the final days of selling oil from the SPR. OPEC's not happy about it. They think that's price manipulation. And then there's geopolitical risk. I mean, there's every fundamental reason to own the sector. Other than a slowing global economy, which is a fundamental reason to be concerned about the price, no? Well, you still want to own it. Let's, let's look at it this way. You get the geopolitical shock, right? Probably the culprit has something to do with oil, so I want to be there in the sector. That's probably when the Federal Reserve is, is given, uh, given the out, so to speak, and, and able to make the, the, the pause. All right. Still ahead, our calls of the day. We're back right after this. Let's talk some Disney. There it is right there. Stock's below 100 bucks. Price target was cut to 127 from 144. Bank of America, they reiterated a buy. The firm saying that macro headwinds and a potential consumer weakness could impact 2023. We've made it uh, one of our calls of the day. Shannon, you own it. Joe does too, but let's get your view first here. 
So, I mean, the, the price target here, uh, you know, I think does reflect really the macro uncertainty, you know, potentially some some uh, decline in park revenue, if you will, um, which is really the variable here as we go into concerns about consumer demand of next year. But I think the reiteration of the buy is just indicative of the fact that this is a this is a brand that knows how to monetize its brand through a number of different channels. And so whether that's the streaming business, they're going to continue to be built on the Disney chassis to the park revenue, which has been frankly rising um, and providing that free cash flow uh, you know for me this is a this is a long-term um, play on both of those two sides and so if this consumer demand is depressed next year if they see revenue declines um, I think they'll still be better off than maybe some uh, other consumer brands will be in that environment what do you think I think it was a happy Friday I was looking forward to my weekend and you had to mention Disney I bought it at 116 it's a horrible buy the good news is I haven't bought it anymore. I said at the time it's a long-term position. It certainly is now with it trading at $96. I'm not going to get out. Hopefully Dan Loeb is able to execute on what he's attempting to do. Would you buy more? I wanted to buy more. I'm not going to buy any more now. Okay. Uh, the other one's McDonald's. Uh, maintained by 280 is the price target. Weiss, I'm going to throw this to you. I don't think we have any ownership of McDonald's on the desk, but I'd like your view uh, on a stock like that in the here and now. You know, I, I think it's actually, it's not the cheapest stock, but I think it's a good place to hide. Uh, people trade down the meals from fast casual down to a McDonald's. Uh, so I think it's okay if you have to own a stock. It's one that has great management. And by the way, they're quick to act if management's not so great. So I like that and I like the board. So it's one I'd look at. If I were buying stocks, this is one I'd probably take a good hard look at. All right, we're going to do final trades after this quick break. All right, overtime, 4 o'clock today. Dan Greenhouse will be with me, Victoria Green, Jason Snipe, Kevin Simpson, he always has some new trades. You don't want to miss that. He had a lousy month, he had a lousy quarter, and Tom Lee is still bullish. I guess he's going to be on. We'll test him on that. You heard from Marco Kalanovic that note right as we started today. We'll find out if Tom Lee is wavering at all. A little bit later on, I hope you'll join me then. Let's do final trades. Bryn, you're first. First, yeah, COWS. It is a factor-based ETF that screens for the 100 highest free cash flow yielding companies in the S&P. Two biggest sectors are energy at 27% and healthcare at 22. Has a free cash flow yield of 12 and a half, a, a PE of six and a half, and a dividend of two and a half. Okay, thank you, Shannon. Uh, Quest Diagnostics, DGX. Uh, also, um, Joe, come on into Intuitive Surgical. The water's fine. Uh, DGX is uh, four to five percent revenue growth, seven to nine percent EPS growth, um, and really a, a defensive in a land of defensive. Okay. One of only two lab major providers in the country. Siege. Lily, um, their Alzheimer's drug is great too. Biogen was up huge. Lily up a little bit. Right. I think you can continue to own it. Weiss. Top of my shopping list, EQT. Don't know why it's moving today, but I think they'll come back to Nat okay. Gas stocks and GL stocks. Northrop Joe. Northrop Grumman. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, 
the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.